Hello and welcome back, everyone. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. I'm in studio downtown in Salem, Oregon today. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, it's a beautiful day. It's been a while since I've been in studio, and, and it's fun to have a guest back here in person. Today, we're going to be speaking with, with Tim Sinatra, and in a moment, I'm going to give some time for him to introduce himself. But before I do, I like to kind of give the spiel of what, what it is that we're doing. And and uh, as and any of you continual listeners know, uh, this podcast is is connected to our Leadership Institute Groundwork, which we started a couple of years ago to really raise the tide of leaders in our community, to develop leaders together, to build relationships. And it's it's going so well. It's such a blessing to be a part of. And uh, it's, it's just amazing to interview so many different leaders in our community and outside of our community to learn and to grow together. Uh, we're getting a lot of a lot of shares and 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 people downloading these episodes, which we didn't expect, and so it's just a it's just an absolute blast. So I want to dive in with our guest today because he's sitting right here in front of me. I want to get right to it. Uh, our guest is Tim Sinatra, and I I met Tim I don't know maybe three or so more years ago uh, when I first came here. So it might have been longer than three years ago. Uh, I can't remember exactly how we were connected. But we became connected, and we've had several interactions since then. I've always been impressed with with Tim. Currently, he is the CEO of the YMCA uh, here in Salem, and just eager to learn from you today, Tim, and for you to share some of your insights. So that's a brief intro to who you are, but please tell us more about who you are, what it is that you do, and all the good stuff. Thanks, Chris. It's it's great to be here, and thanks for inviting me on to this podcast. It's, um, you know, I, when I think about myself, the question, who am I? You know, that's something that I'm still figuring out even to this day. But I do know what my work is. I do know what my purpose is. And it's interesting now as being the new CEO here in YMCA, it's kind of coming back to where I began. So I started this career 32 years ago with the YMCA as a counselor getting paid 301 an hour, which I thought was a lot of money back in the day. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think about today is how blessed I was to fall into the YMCA so early in my career, because I spent five years with the YMCA, 23 with Boys and Girls Club, a little bit with the state of Oregon, and then back to the YMCA pretty much. And so when I think back to the the blessing of being able to find my purpose so early in life, even though I didn't know what it was. There's a great quote Mark Twain has that says, uh, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And I, I, I could say now that my why was really being of service to the greater community, helping those who need it the most uh, really achieve their full potential, whatever that might be for them. And so I kind of look at my purpose and who I am as sometimes blending together. Yeah. And, and, and that's been exciting for me over the lifetime of my career so far. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. In a lot of our, our episodes, the, the topic of, of our why and our purpose tends to pop up quite a bit. I think it's, it's because it's a really important piece to our framework that we teach in our institute. Um, in our uh, deeply C section, we call it being rooted in, knowing your why. Uh, but it's so fun to hear leaders talk about that. In fact, you know, if I had to, if I had to share with with people that are just new to leadership, people that are 
interested in in becoming leaders, whether it's a, a formal leader or not. One of the biggest things I've learned is that leaders know their purpose. Uh, most, maybe not all, but most most certainly the good ones, they know their purpose. Uh, they typically can explain it and articulate it well, and that's just one of the things that stands out. And I think that 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 needs to be to be noticed and to be said. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, anything else, you know, just about, about you, uh, that would be fun. I know you're an avid, uh, mountain biker, right? You love, mm-hmm. love that. Um, we've talked about that a little bit. I'm, I'm not, but you've, I, I would like to do it. <laughs> I'm probably too scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know you do that. What else is anything else about you that would be fun to, to learn? Yeah. You know, one of the hobbies I've done for a long time was adventure racing, which now just more mountain biking, but adventure racing, Back in the day was you'd, you'd mountain bike, you'd trail run, uh, you'd kayak, mapping compass, and the longest race was about 50 hours straight uh, in a co-ed team. And, wow. and we always did pretty well, even though we weren't like experts, but we ended up doing really well. And I learned a lot about leadership from adventure racing. That's what I was going to ask you, what you've learned from Yeah. You know, well, one of the things is, that has you ever have you ever heard the saying of you're only as strong as your weakest link? Mm-hmm. You, you've heard that. Yeah. And many times when I speak to groups, I ask them, I said, do you believe that? Do you believe that you and your team are only strong as the weakest link? And a lot of people will say yes. What I found was in adventure racing, you know, you're only as strong as the links that surround the weakest link at a time. Mm -hmm. Because when we would race, it was a three-person team, co-ed team. Everyone had a strength. But at some point in a 50-hour race, you are hurting. You are ready to give up. You're questioning, why the heck am I even doing this? Mm -hmm. And you're going to depend on your other team members. Now, if your team members just watch you suffer, they can only go as fast as your suffering allows. Mm -hmm. But if they come around me, so my female teammate would come around me and she would take my pack on the trekking because she was an ultra marathoner and she would carry my pack and then hook a line to my waist to pull me through the mountains. Then when on mountain biking, she wasn't a strong mountain biker, so I would hook a line onto her. So when you're helping each other out, collectively, you can move much faster Mm -hmm. than just waiting for someone to recover. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I always say surround the weakest link and that's how strong you are. And that that was a big lesson in life. Yeah. And and I can see how that will relate to to what we want to, what I want to dive in a little later when we're talking about stabilization techniques um, in leadership, uh, you know, in both the good times, but most certainly the bad. But what's the, what's the cross to to the real life, you know, organizational leadership world to that um, example you just used of hooking your line to the mm-hmm. person. And what does that look like in the work in the workspace? Well, you learn a lot about resilience. You learn a lot about find a way to win. You learn a lot about not giving up. There was a there was a time where our first race where we quit at 2 a.m. in the morning and we weren't quitters and we went back and analyzed why did we quit at 2 a.m.? And we realized that 2 a.m., everyone's thinking the same thing. Mm. That, you know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. We can give up right now and I'm still a good person. Yeah. But nobody's going to say that to each other. And in not saying it to each other, you fail as a group. But if you say that, maybe someone else steps up and carries the yeah. weight. So we developed a concept that at 2 a.m. on these races, one person who was chosen before the start of the race would say, listen, Let's just get to the next checkpoint and we'll talk there. We didn't say what we we're going to talk about. We just said, let's just get to the next checkpoint. And at 2 a.m., the next checkpoint is probably three hours away. And in the horizon, you see the sun start to rise. Yeah. And the energy of that light draws you to it. 
So when you cross that over into organizational development and what I do with nonprofits as a CEO, uh -huh. when you see a challenge, you realize, you know, let's just keep moving. What's next? Let's not try to get to the end goal that's, you know, this audacious, amazing, you know, outcome. Let's just talk about what's next. And by going to what's next, once we get there, we'll worry about what's next there. The cumulative aspect of getting to what next gets you really close to the goal you eventually set out for. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Uh, it reminded me, I was just at a, a uh, event up in Vancouver with the Murdoch Trust, which I know you're familiar with, you know, big charitable trust um, in the Northwest. And we're sitting in there and they had this, uh, they had this picture of bison up on their slide, their slide deck, uh, and, and they had underneath it the long view. And I didn't know this about bison, but they shared. I thought it was really fascinating. I'm probably going to use this quite a bit in, in things that I do. But, but bison are fascinating animals because when they face a storm on the frontier, which they face a lot, they go right into it. And they go right into it because it's actually the fastest way out of it. Mm. If you go right into the storm, you get out of it quicker uh, than trying to run from it. And so I find that really fascinating. And they had underneath the long view. And I, that's what I think of when you're saying is, you know, just wait till that, you know, the next checkpoint, the sun will rise, you know, and, and going into it is faster than going away from it. But I love that, you know, bison go right into the storm, the long view, eye on the horizon. I think that there's a lot of play in that to organizational development. Like you said, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's smart because it's about addressing your biggest challenges and not running from them. I think in organizational development, an economy comes right now, the pandemic. Yeah. And you can run from it or you can embrace the situation and run into it and be prepared to maximize the best results possible. Mm -hmm. And by going into it, you get out of it a lot faster. I remember in 2008 when the financial bottom dropped out, um, most nonprofits were laying off 25% of their mm -hmm. staff, closing up 25% of their services. When the need for services was spiking. Yeah. So it's moving in the opposite directions, was, mm -hmm. which is a recipe for disaster. The organizations that did really well during that time was the organizations that, one, went into the storm with a strong balance sheet. Yeah. Okay. Went into the storm with strong relationships in the community, partners, philanthropists, foundations, and so on. But also had a strategy of how to mitigate during a storm yeah. and had a strong team to do it. And in doing that, you actually did better in the worst environment than you would do in a more calm environment. Mm -hmm. We did that in Boys and Girls Clubs here during that time and raised more money during the worst economic downturn mm -hmm. that I've experienced. We opened up a new branch. We kept all of our staff and expanded services. But it was intentional that we were also preparing ourselves for a storm that we didn't know what was coming or what it yeah. might look like. And in the end, when we came out of the storm, we came out even stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, going back to the bison, they don't know how big the storm's going to be, right? That's right. They just know um, innately, you know, naturally that, that going into it is, is their best option for survival. Uh, so I think that's really fascinating um, uh, an analogy there. Uh, what about, you know, a question about the challenges? What's the, f what's the fears, right? Going back to your, your analogy of these races, what are the fears, you know, when, when, when you're quitting, what's going through your mind uh, of when you want to quit? Um, I've never done those races, but I've done, uh, you know, other very physical things as an athlete where I've just wanted to throw in the towel. And there's a lot of fears that pop up. 
and minutes feel like hours. Uh, what are the fears there? And then how does that relate to, again, the real world and the fears that leaders might face when the storm comes, mm. when the challenges come? Does that question make sense? It does. It's a great question, actually. So, it, you know, let me play it into adventure racing fears and then translate it out of yeah, that. Yeah, please. You know, when you're at a point and you feel like you've got nothing left to give, the biggest fear at that point is, am I truly at that point mm. where there's nothing left in the tank? Where, Or is it just my emotional state? You know, can the body go further? What we found was it's more important that you have a strong mental state than a physical state. You'd be surprised that the mind can power the body to do much more, but the mind will give up first mm -hmm. before the body. Yeah. Nine I, times I agree, out of 10. I agree with that 100%. So you worry that if we give up and we go back and the next day we wake up and say, you know, it wasn't that bad. We could have done that. Shame on us for giving up so easy. Yeah. And that's something that's hard to sleep with. That's something that you don't want to happen. And so when we gave up that first time at 2 a.m., we sat down and said, why were we, you know, why did we give up? What did, what, what was it about that time? And it was because we weren't talking to each other right. or trying to support. We were more went inward than yeah. outward amongst each other mm -hmm. to embrace the concept of you're only as strong as the weeks that links that surround the weakest link yeah. during that time. And so that's where we always had one captain during that time, always having to say, hey, let's just go towards the next checkpoint. When we get there, we'll talk. And we never said what we were going to talk about. But as I said, once you get moving again, your mindset changes, you get refocused. And one of the things I did personally that helped a lot, and I used that in many times in, in, in being a CEO for a nonprofit, when I was in my kind of doom loop during a race, I would say anyone can do 10 minutes from this point. Yeah. And I would do the 10 minutes. And right before I hit the 10-minute mark, I'd say, anyone can do anyone 10 can minutes. Do 10 and next thing you know, I'm crossing the finish line. And it's the same thing in like nonprofit world or running a business. Things will get tough, but you can always say, I can go a little bit farther, you know, yeah. you know and, and I can go a little bit further. And what can I do? And and focus on on what you can versus all the things going on around you because it'll overwhelm you. Mm -hmm. And stay focused on that and discipline. Yeah. I've uh I've used this example a lot uh in some other episodes, but I can't I'm you know, you might relate to this. You can, you sound like you might mentally relate to this, but I'm kind of weird in, in the way that, you know, I, I work uh I work out early in the morning. And, you know, I'm a former college athlete. So I was, you know, my whole life, I was always high intensity training all the time and then it ended and, and I didn't really know where to channel all of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and I love to be active. So I just kept working out and I still do. And I, you know, I wake up at 430, I'm at the gym and, uh, on most days, sometimes I'm a little mm -hmm. later than that, but I, I work out really hard. I, I, you know, people always ask me too. I've had people come up and and when I'm at the gym too, I earphones in, focused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't really like to talk to people, but the few occasions where people try to talk to me, I'll I'll stop and I'll talk. But they they ask like, "What are you training for? Are you training for something?" I'm like, no, I, I'm not. I just I like to push myself. But for me, it's really about kind of what you're talking about. You know, I I I I will keep pushing and I'll do one more rep, one more lap, one more whatever. And in my mind, I do it because I have to convince myself early in the morning. That one, I was willing to wake up really early and push my push my limits. But in the moment, 
I, I tell myself like what you did 10 more minutes, right? Whether mm. it's one more rep or one more lap, right? Uh, because in my brain, I think if I can prove my, prove to myself this early in the morning that I can work through something hard, then that day when I face something challenging at work or with family or what, what have you that have already proven to myself that I can, I can do 10 more minutes, like you yeah. said. And I, so I might be weird, but it sounds like you're, you're the same way, but that's, that's, that's my philosophy, you know? Um, I probably work out more for that than I do to just maintain physical health. <laughs> it's well, more, you, more of that mental side. But it's brilliant. You're, you're making, you break things down, make it simpler, make it, you know, bite-sized. The, um, there's another aspect though, that I learned about from adventure raising back into, you know, nonprofit and organizational development is the ego. Mm. Dropping the ego. Yeah. I remember one race, it was uh it was the California championship races. So you had to qualify to even be in that race. And we start off the race and blow up kayaks. One of our kayaks happened to have like a leak in it. So literally it's like a V, you know, all all tangled up. And we get to the shore last of yeah. the end of the kayak. So we're way behind. Mm -hmm. There's no way we're catching up. So immediately uh my female teammate hooked a line to me. Cause she knew if she hooked a line to me, we would, we could run versus trek. Yeah. She could pull me and, and took my backpack. So as we're, we're running, we start to, and we're competing against all male teams too. Yeah. So we're passing this all male team and these guys look at me and they're making fun of me and they're like, Hey, you're getting pulled by a girl. And but I said, but we're passing but you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, we're passing you though. And that was it. And we won that race. Yeah. We actually made up all the time and won the race. And you have to be willing to say as a leader, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I don't know all the answers, but if I can lean on my team, my friends, my partners, if I can be vulnerable to ask a lot of questions, if I can be vulnerable to say, I need help, yeah. you got a better chance of, of, of winning and, and, and doing your best. And sometimes it'll still fail, but at least you know you tried everything. Yeah. And, and I think get an ego out of the way. Is so important. Yeah, that tends to get in the way for most of us a lot. Yes. I love that story, but we're passing but you. We're passing you. Yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of a sort of relevant story. But in college, we were playing this team, and uh, my teammate, uh, he got you know fouled right in front of the opposing team's bench, and uh, they didn't think it was a foul, but he went down like holding his leg, you know, and and they're making fun of him. And they're like, "How's your leg?" You know, and he just looks at him and says. I don't know. How's the bench? <laughs> there you Just go. Just one of those moments where <laughs> they're, yeah, you're right. You're, we're on the bench. You're actually on the field. Uh, but it reminded me of that because again, you're passing them. So, so what's the you know? There's nothing humorous about it because you're yeah. passing them. So I love I love that. Um, yeah. So let's let's keep taking this into this this idea of stabilization techniques because um, I love that we've been using this this analogy and the interplay there and the ego, dro dropping the ego. Uh, I, it's funny, I've, I've done, and this, I've done, I, I sometimes swim in the morning and I'm not a swimmer. And I, I attempted to do the, this form of swimming um, that uh, Navy SEALs do. And I am by no way trying to compare myself to Navy SEALs. They could swim and run circles around me, but they do this technique that I just wanted to do because you know, I'm weird mentally, so I want to push myself. But they have to, they swim with their hands behind their back. So you like hold your hands behind your back. There's probably tied, I don't know. But I would just hold my hands behind my back. And then you have to keep your feet close next to each other and you have to swim, mm -hmm. you know, like that. So you're basically using all body. You have to come up for air. 
So I would do this and I would just swim down and back, you know, try to do as many laps as I could. But I'm all alone in the swimming pool. It's 5 a.m. There's nobody to to prove anything <laughs> to other than myself. And that's where I have this uh, almost exchange, mental exchange with my ego, you know, um, because ultimately there's nobody there watching. There's nothing to prove to anybody. And am I still willing to <laughs> to, to do it? And and that's that's where I've learned a lot about about my ego, you know, um, and and some humility there. Because a lot of times I I struggle, you know, when 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 doing those things. Uh, that's my last plug on that idea of ego. But I want to get into, you know, what we talked about before: stabilization techniques, specifically from leadership. I know you have what do you call it? The four way, the four by four, four by four. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. And I know listeners would love to to make note of this as well because I, I read through some of your notes; they look really fascinating and relevant. Oftentimes we hear great ideas and you think, well, how do I actualize that? These actually look very practical things that leaders can think about and then go and do. So would you mind kind of taking us through that a little bit? And, and Sure, absolutely. You know, a lot of my career has been coming into nonprofits that might be 60 days from closing. So they, whatever reason of why they're about to fail, um, it's there. And no blame or shame. It's just that's the reality that I walk into. So you have to figure out quickly, like, what do you do? There's no money for payroll. The board's infighting. I had staff members who would come in, punch in and go home, leave kids wow. unattended. I mean, you name it, like I'm walking into it. And, and it's my favorite thing to do. I was uh, going to ask you, why do you, <laughs> you must? I have no clue. It's like adventure <laughs> racing. Like when you start an adventure race and you start running, you, you say, as soon as you're like 10 minutes into it, I swear I will never do this again because you know how much pain yeah. you're going to go through. And then you cross the finish line. You're like, what's wow. the next one? Yeah. You know, like. Because what you just explained, most people are like, nope, I don't yeah. want it. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, they don't want it. And, and, but I thrive on it. Like yeah. it's, and it's probably a flaw of mine that we should talk about later about yeah. pace and, um, and that, you know, I'm I'm not a maintainer, which can mm. be good and bad. So mm. make sure we talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, what I figured was, you know, um, I found that there's kind of a strategy where you have certain strategy principles, four of them, and you have four approach principles. So I call it the four by four. And there's these little things you can do, whether it's in extreme growth when there's a lot going on and you're trying to keep up with all these great opportunities. Or it's, oh my gosh, I got 60 days or this organization is, disappears off of this and, earth. And quick, quick, just kind of clarifier, um, these are points that are helpful even if you're not in that setting, right? I mean, it, For life. Yeah, the, for life. So it's not, you know, it's not like you have to have mm -mm. An, um, everything's falling apart for these to be relevant. Right. Yeah. These, are, these are things you should use every day, but if you're intentional about using these during those times, mm -hmm. both of great growth and great challenges it helps you even more. And, okay. and it's a bit of a discipline. And so the first one I call, it's the four strategy principles. I'll name the four and give you a little background on each of them. Yes, the first yes. one's focus determines your reality. First is first, five for five, and organizational scan. So focus determines your reality. So like in adventure racing, um, you really got to know where you're going because it doesn't matter how fast you're going if you're going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. We come to a checkpoint and we were trying to stay on this team who clearly they were way more fit than us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we weren't staying on them, they were going to leave us. 
But we come to a point and you have to navigate with map and compass. So you have to make good decisions. And immediately they go to the right. And I happened to be the navigator on on this race. And I, I said, no, let me double check the coordinates here. And uh, my team's like, no, no, Tim, we got to stay on them or, you know, they're fitter than us. You know, that's it. We'll never see them and they're gone. And I said, no, no, hold, hold. Let me check this. And I checked it. And I said, hey, guys, gals, guess what? They said, what? They're going in the wrong direction. They went two hours in the wrong direction, had to come back two hours. We were four hours ahead of them. Never saw them again. So focus determines your reality. You've Mm -hmm. got to be careful about how you're moving forward. What should I focus on? What's the critical path? What's mm-hmm. the next steps? What's most important? All of that stuff is what helps you understand what to do next. So what will I focus on? The next thing is first is first. So each day as a leader, when you come in, what I would do is I would sit down and say, what are the things I need to do to really maximize my team's success? Like what answers do they need from me? Um, is there an encouraging word I need to say to somebody? Is there a barrier that someone might be in front of somebody that's going to slow them down on my team? So the first thing is thinking about my team and getting all the things that they need to get going, you know, and then it gives me a moment to retreat and start to look back at what I need to do. So first is first, remove the barriers, get everybody moving in the right direction, get them what they need and make sure that the team's progressing forward. So the, the the next thing is what I call five for five. And this is something I remember in a, a turnaround in Asheville, North Carolina at a, a great place called Elida, beautiful place. There's about 360 employees. And what I asked everybody, I said, I'd like everybody to take five minutes each day for five days out of the week. And what I want you to do is to do something that can't benefit today. It can only benefit tomorrow and the tomorrows to come. Because the cumulative effect of 360 people doing something that's more long-term gets you out of the short-term, mm-hmm. gets you out of the fire. And that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And so people start spending five and 10 minutes. And the more you put in the long-term, the more you get to work on long-term type things because it gets you out of the what I call the doom loop. Mm-hmm. And then the last of the four strategies um, of the principles is organizational scan. It's something that was taught to me is, you know, always do a check-in to see where we're at. How's everybody doing? The best way to do that, that you could do it in almost 10 minutes, is you do a quick keep, stop, start. What should we keep doing? What should we stop doing? What should we start Mm -hmm. doing? Interesting enough, I did a big um, analysis of a major agency, and it was interesting, out of thousands of employees every team had the same kind of distribution pattern of they had a lot of starts. And then the second biggest group was stops. And then the least amount was keeps. Now that's an unhealthy organization because a healthy organization distribution pattern, when you're asking everybody their input and you say, put your sticky notes under keep, stop, start should be a lot of keeps, a couple stops and a couple starts because it's continuous improvement. The start, you know, the stops give you room to start the next innovation. The starts innovation works. It moves to a keep, you know, the keeps that don't work anymore, you move to a stop. But most organizations aren't getting the stops out of their way. You've got to, you got to kind of get that. What's the stop doing list? Let's stop it so that we can do these starts and learn and grow. So it's a continuous imp- uh, improvement and it takes literally five to 10 minutes. You give everybody yeah. sticky notes 
say write as many keep stop starts as you can in five minutes, look at the distribution pattern, categorize them, and then talk about why they're there. And, yeah. and there's a lot to be learned on it. Yeah, no, uh, lots of thoughts on each of these points. Um, just that last one, I love to keep stop start. Um, you know, one of my, my mentors advised me to to do that just my own goal setting and, and even with my with my wife so my wife and I we try to do we try to do that um in different categories of our life you know what should we keep what should we start what should we stop doing stop doing and um we're not too great at staying consistent at it but we have we've seen the value for sure and want to I want to keep doing it but a lot lot to to think about here and I just want to kind of touch on some of these and get your follow up thoughts cuz I'm seeing a lot of connection to our framework and I know you're not super familiar with our framework. Maybe you've read a little bit of, about it. Would love to have you participate in our Leadership Institute at some point. Um, but we talk about this analogy of soil seeds and weeds, and all of our returning listeners are very familiar with this. Uh, you know, in our soil, the way we define it is it's our people. You know, the soil is the people. So the soil of YMCA is the people, right? The soil of Salem is our community. It's our people. Uh, and the the way we cultivate it is through you know, various ways. We talk a lot about accountability, being willing to f- change first. We talk about seeing people. We talk about deeply seeing and knowing your purpose, knowing your why. We talk about seeds as ideas. And the best way we get the, the way we get the most out of our seeds is through innovation. You know, we talk about weeds as conflict and so on. And it really lends itself to a helpful, very helpful leadership framework. But I'm seeing, you know, some of it in, in what you're talking about. When you're talking about focus determines reality and, and you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, the long view, do we see where we're trying to go? Uh, what I think of is, is purpose, right? As I think of why, I think of in, in, in it's manifested formally for organizations as a vision, but do we really understand the vision or is it just writing on the wall? <laughs> it doesn't mean something to us. Uh, to us, that's so important to an organizational's, an organization's soil. You know, healthy soil is when people understand their purpose, they understand their why, they understand uh, where they're supposed to be going. Um, so I think that's so connected to our framework. And then you say first things first. And what I heard, heard you when you were saying that is, is everybody good to go? You know, does everybody have what they need? How are you? What needs do you have, et cetera? That's so related to our soil as well, because that's seeing people. Do we really care about the individuals, um, within our soil? Do we, are we setting them up for success, et cetera? And then you have the five for five. I love that, you know, you have a group, full, a room full of people, no matter the size, five to three hundred. <laughs> but all of those individuals thinking on what tomorrow is and the next day is more powerful than you know thinking of the problem at hand because they're thinking of the solutions. And I think that's a that's an environment for for innovation. That's an environment for creativity and and collaboration, which is so needed in understanding the seeds because. Uh, you can see how our analogy r- relates to one another. If you can plant a seed in toxic soil, but if your soil is not ready, people don't care about each other, they don't understand their purpose, you could have the best idea in the world. It's not going to work, mm-hmm. right? It's like you could have the best uh, you could have the best bike in the world, but if you and your team aren't bikes, right? If you and your team aren't ready to use them, <laughs> that's right. they're not going to do anything. And to me, that's what seeds are. You can have amazing seeds, amazing ideas, but if the people aren't ready, if they don't care about each other, they don't understand their purpose. It's not gonna. It's not gonna get you anywhere. It's just gonna be a cool bike. Uh, and 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 you know, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of organizations that just want the cool bike. <laughs> you know, I want to. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? And I want to add to that for a second because you said something that that is brilliant. Yeah, I remember asking, you know, my team members. I always ask them this. I said, you know, would you rather have a 
A idea and a B team or an A team and a B idea? And what, what would you say? What would you say? A, a idea, B team, or a B team and an A idea? Well, off the cuff, I would, I would want the, the A team. I would just want the great, great people. Yeah, because an A team can make a B idea work, but mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that you know a, a B team can make an A idea work. So yeah. you have to invest in the people. The greatest thing of all time that I've learned is people, people, people. That yeah. should be your number one strategy. Yeah. Everything else comes after. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm and that's what I'm hearing in in these 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 things you're laying out. As you started with that, you started with the big picture, but that again doesn't matter much without the people driving it. Uh, and then this last one, organizational scan, you know, keep, stop, start, same thing. What I actually hear there a lot is, is ego as well, because as a leader, we have to, we have to leave our ego at the, at the door in order to even get feedback like that. Uh, and as an organization, we have to as well, because I, I think, I think a lot of times, and I've seen organizations do this, they have something that they do, maybe it's a program or a product and it's just not working, but it's something that they've seen as important, but it's just not getting the response they want in the marketplace, whether that's the people they serve or their business, and they don't want to let it go. You know, it may be a, a, a certain tradition, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, there could be a program, maybe a nonprofit runs a program, but there's other people that can do the program better, but they just don't want to let go of it. And I think that that there's some ego that we need to drop, not just as leaders, but as organizations that maybe we aren't the best to do this. So we, sh- we need to stop. Um, and, and it could be on the flip side. Maybe we were really good at doing something, but we don't necessarily want to do it, but that's what we need to start doing. So I actually hear a lot of a really important element to innovation as we call it humility, which is also related to the ego. Um, do we have the hum- humility and then followed up with a, a strong desire and belief that it's actually the right thing to do and it's going to work. But I, I love these four elements. They work for they work for they've obviously worked for you, and they're so connected to our framework. And the question I want to ask you though is is when you you know when you enter an environment like what you've explained sixty days or what do you say thirty or sixty days? Yeah, sixty days. Sixty days till 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 everything falls Shuts apart. Shuts down. Yep. Uh, I mean, how do you approach it with like you know with literally these things written down on a checklist and a plan under each category or is it more of a mental thing that you just know it so well that you follow it? I mean, how do you, how do you approach it? For new leaders, I, I say, make the checklist. Make the checklist. For me, it's, it's innate. So yeah. the first thing I do when I walk in is, you know, if, if your organization is 30 or 60 days from, from closing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fires going on. Yeah. So the first question is, your focus determines your reality is, which fire should I let burn? Which ones will take down the house? Mm. And you go after the ones that will take down the house first, you know, let the other ones burn. You can't get to everything. And so that's really a key aspect in, in all of that is, is understanding, you know, those type of things. When do you use first, you know, first things are first, what focus determines your reality. There's a lot of different things. So my other four principles by the four by four will help kind of answer that question of, do you write them down? This, the other four really is approach. So the first four we talked about is strategy. Yeah. These other four would be approach. Would you like me to share them with you? Yeah. Yeah. And before you, I'd love to, love to have you share, but before you do, I just have a, a question. I just want to, want to ask you, we have this, this term in our framework we call being a steward of the soil. And we specifically talk about, and I reminded of this when you brought up the fires that need to be put out. And I would love your, your thoughts on this before you jump into those other four. But we talk about being a steward of soil and, and which means 
we talk about it in our weeds section, and weeds are conflict. And oftentimes, you know, a leader, let's say, a lead, it's really easy for a leader to take credit for a great seed that took root and grew and mm-hmm. had really great fruits or outcomes. It's really easy to take credit for that. But I, I think oftentimes, you know, something leaders can fall into is they want to take credit for those, but they don't want to take credit for the really big weeds. <laughs> and, and we start to pawn off responsibility or blame on why those weeds exist. It could be, well, it's, it's how our economy is right now, or it's, it's the people that I have. I just don't have great staff or whatever. It could be, it could be anything. Uh, and we don't want to take responsibility for it. But being a steward of soil means that we own all of it. We own, if we're, gonna, if we're willing to own the great things that are going on, we have to certainly own um, the weeds. Uh, and so I just want to you know, get your thoughts on, on that. And you, you term, call them fires to put out. But how much of it is a neglect or a resistance to wanting to own those fires that you see when you walk into these, these environments where there's 60 days left? Is it, and again, I'm not, don't want you to point any blame to any previous leaders, but is it something that leaders can fall into is the avoidance of the fires because they're just not willing to own it. You know, they might, they might do some work to try to fix it, but they maybe miss the responsibility of, a, of being a leader that they had a huge stake in it. Does that yeah, question make sense? Yeah, it makes great sense. There's a couple pieces of that question. So the first thing is a true leader knows when their skill set, their value has ended. No board, nobody should have to tell them. No major catastrophe failure of the organization about to collapse. Should they wait? Most of the time when I come into a 60-day turnaround, this place was failing for the last three years, and mm-hmm. the leader knew it. Many times the board knew it, but no one was, you know, everyone was afraid to address it. And a good leader says, I've given my, you know, all my efforts. No longer is it bringing value and huh. progress to the organization. And it's time for me to exit. So you can't be a careerist when you're a leader. You have to be willing to actually, you know, lose to win. Yeah. And that means sometimes you got to step aside and let another leader step into it, which is a, is a big deal. Yeah, no, that's a really... That really, makes sense. That's you. great insight. Yeah. So I think that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the main key things in, you know, and, but, but when it comes to owning it, you know, you know it's like delegation who do we delegate all the time to? We delegate to our top performers. What does that do to them? Burn them out. How does it build up everyone else? It doesn't. And so that's the key is that if you're really going to want people to succeed, you've got to put more time into the people who need the help, that 25% who's on the edge of failing versus the ones that are always performing, giving them the the great opportunities and being by them and letting them in the, the prime positions it's more about getting the those people who are succeeding to help out the people who might be failing and that it's a collective win. And if someone fails in the end, a true leader owns that failure. Yeah. It's it's on them. It's mm-hmm. not on the person who failed. I always feel if someone had messed up, shame on me. Mm-hmm. How did I miss that? How did I not see the signs? Why did I not, you know, step in and do more? Yeah. Uh, but if you're a careerist and it's always about everything shining and looking great mm-hmm. all the time, you know, that's where I end up coming in and doing the turnaround. Yeah. Because you're you're not, you know, owning up to, you know, everyone's success and you're not owning up to your own ability to help create an environment that creates consistent outcomes. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Um great insight, really. Uh I, I chuckled a little bit because I, I, I drew the <laughs> I drew the 
that idea of I've done what I can as a leader. I have to be willing to realize that and step away. I was laughing, laughing inside because I'm like, man, I wish that was true in parenting. <laughs> Sorry, I've done what yeah. I can here. I am out. I'm out of here. <laughs> Tell my wife, I've done what I can today. It's up to you. I can't do this. <laughs> no, that's commitment. You don't walk away yeah. from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we've just, uh, with our little ones, sometimes you certainly are like, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. <laughs> you can take this one. But um, you know, one, one last thing though is, I think a good leader tells the staff, and I always tell my staff this, and I'm not saying I'm a good leader, but I said, don't wait till you fail. As soon as you got that little uneasy gut feeling, raise the flag. We will mobilize an army to support you reaching Mm -hmm. that goal. But you can't raise the flag when we've taken on so much water, we can't bail it out and save the ship. Yeah. So it's not a failure to raise the flag and say, gosh, I'm feeling uncertain. Not sure this strategy is going to hit goal. Could really use some help. And so- but you got to create a great environment yeah, so say. for people to be vulnerable mm-hmm. or they're not going to do that because they're always thinking they're being measured by success when, when really, you know, failure is a sign of success. But in sometimes you can have failures when you have kids, you know, and, and programs and safety is mm-hmm. key. Mm-hmm. If it takes a life, that's not an acceptable failure, yeah. you know? And I hear people many times saying, well, you got to let people fail, not at the cost of someone's life, yeah. you know? So there's measurable failure yeah. and that's okay. But, but I think that environment where people can raise the flag and say help and everyone, you know, it's, there's a theory out there, a business theory called the theory of constraints mm-hmm. in manufacturing. So if every department has to be working together to achieve the end product, if one of the departments is failing, it stops the whole line. So what they do is they send one person from each department to the department failing to overwhelm the constraint get it back online so everybody's collectively moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something as an agency and even as friends is that rather than like an adventure racing, watching the constraint, the person who's bonking, going slow, get it, surround them, help them, mm-hmm. take their bag, give them some food, hook a line onto them. Uh, and then and then once that constraint is you know overcome because they got their energy back and so on, you're just humming even faster. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you, uh, you said something so true uh, about the creating the environment and i think that's the that's the role one of the most important roles of leaders is to create the environment um the conditions that we like to call it often is the conditions for that change and transformation to happen and it's so interesting in the research that i'm doing now um in my phd everything for me i keep coming back to leadership when i'm when when i keep looking at at change in the organizational space or a community everything i keep coming to points back to leaders. All sorts of things need to happen for change to to occur. Uh, but leadership is always one of the most important things uh, to create the conditions for change. And it starts with something as simple as they're creating the right environment um, for people to feel safe, to share, you know, uh, to raise the, the flag of things aren't, you know, things aren't, uh, aren't going well. It's such a sm- simple thing, but it's a huge responsibility for a leader. And probably one of their most important responsibilities is to create that environment and those conditions for for that change. So I, I love that. Um, and I do want I want to get to these four other steps. So please jump into those, and I'm sure they're going to tie to everything we're, we're talking about. But go ahead. Yeah. So so the other four, you know, the four, the first four were about strategy, mm-hmm. focus determines reality. First is first, five for five, and organizational scan. So that's more when you're thinking strategically. But then, okay, what is strategy? Well, you, you know, you've got to implement. 
You have to take action, execution. And so that means approach. So how do we create, you know, what are the things you can do to help everyone uh, be more successful with the strategy? The first one, and and I wish I would have learned this early in my career, is making a decision-making framework. And and because as a CEO, when you come in a turnaround, if everybody has to come to you to say go, no go, you know, the ship's going down. You can't have a bottleneck of everybody trying to get permission mm-hmm. or run their idea by you because you're taking on water everywhere and you need everybody all over the boat trying to stop the water from coming on and, and you're at the helm. And so what I do is I create what's called a decision-making framework, which are just a few questions. And I say, ask these questions. And if you get an affirmative answer on these questions, then I would say that 90% of the time, that was the right thing to do. And if, and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Yeah. We all would have been blindsided. So the questions that I usually ask them to ask themselves is, is it mission-based and, and is it safe? Those are two big priorities. It's got to be safe and it's got to be, this is going to help support our mission. The next one is that it supports our strategic direction. So we have a mission, but we also, we also have a path towards meeting that mission. So by making that decision, will it help us further our strategy down towards what success looks like? Mm-hmm. And then is it data informed or, or even is it uh, the best return on, on investment or effort? So is it worth our while in even doing that? And then does it build relationships? The next one would be, have you considered alternatives? You know, so, you know, yeah, you got a great idea, but is there a better one out there? Have you looked at what other people think? And then the last one is who needs to be involved in this decision or can you make it alone? And so when you give them that decision-making framework, they don't necessarily need to come to their leaders. They can, you know, there's a threshold where you say, hey, at this type of decision, I need you to come to me. But the other like nine out of 10 things, you know, just use the decision making framework. And uh, if you get an affirmative in there, it's probably a great decision. And if it doesn't, don't worry about it. We got your back because we would have probably made the same decision you made. And so it gives them the confidence and it gives them the insight to really look at what's most important in decision making. Mm. And, and then it, and if everyone's making decisions, suddenly the water stops coming in so fast. Yeah. Suddenly you're mobilizing everybody. And then the big rocks, like when they got to run up to you because of threshold things, you still say, did you run the decision matrix? And they say, yeah. And I say, well, what did it come out? And then I give them a little bit of advice from my you know, experience. And then we, we collectively move forward. So that's, that's one of the approaches. The next one is own it early, which is my favorite, is that when you make a mistake uh, or things go wrong, own it immediately, seek a solution to lead through it, and stay away from the blame and shame. And don't allow people to blame and shame people. I've watched it too many times in meetings where people are blaming and shaming, and there's just no room for that, mm-hmm. no matter what. You have to absolutely own it, figure out a solution, and then lead through it as a leader. And yeah. the earlier you do that, the greater credibility. You can see some of the athletes in time, I won't mention any, who if they would have just owned that they totally went the wrong direction. It, it would have changed how people thought of them. Mm-hmm. Even though they did the wrong thing, it would have changed. But because of denying it and going yeah. as far as you can, you know, now you have no credibility. Yeah. So people are human. We're going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. especially leaders. The next one is productive feedback loops, where you're really asking people to 
provide daily feedback. And uh, you, you also have to provide opportunities where people will, where you can support them and recognize them. It's kind of like you hear people talk about accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to hold our staff accountable, accountable. And it sounds like a negative thing, yeah. accountability. And I said, no, there's two sides of accountability. There's, hey, I said what I, you know, I was going to do what I'm going to do. Did you do it? Yeah. And then the other side is, wow, you did it. Well done. You're, you're accountable from a recognition point of view. Mm-hmm. Let's recognize the great work people do every day. So I think having, you know, open feedback, but the problem with feedback is you got to be approachable. If yeah. you walk into my office and I got this, you know, mean, frustrated, overwhelmed, exhausted look on my face, you're not asking for like feedback from me, yeah. you know? You're probably, hey, have a good day, Tim. See you, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and you go figure it out on your own. So, so your demeanor is mm-hmm. key when you're walking around, mm-hmm. where you look, you know, where you're open, where people say, hey, Tim, what do you think about this? And you stop and you say, hey, here's what I think. And I remember one of my mentors, he talked about his, his greatest leader of all time, one of his mentors. And it's funny, I never asked him why he thought that was like, the, his greatest mentor or leader, what was so special about him. So one day I finally asked him and I said, Hey, why did you think your mentor was such a great mentor? Or he's such a great leader. What was it about him that was so great? And he said, Tim, this person was very, very, very successful in all that he did. And um, if he was at a fundraiser and he was in the room, everybody would want to circle around him to bend his ear. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, that's just how it worked. And he said, but if he was talking to you in that fundraiser, in that busy you know, room, you would think you're the only person in the room. He would not be distracted by anybody. Yeah. He said, being in the moment with your staff and not looking at your phone or looking at who's peeking in your door or whatever is the greatest thing you'll ever do. It's the greatest sign of respect yeah. and recognition of their time. And I thought, you know, that's really key. So your demeanor, recognition, feedback would be mm-hmm. that productive feedback loop. And then the last one is strength and capacity delegation. And it goes back to, I said that earlier, is that we always delegate to our best people because we know they'll get it done. But how is that building the rest of the team? How is that building future players that can do amazing things, build a succession planning you know, mm-hmm. within the ranks by teaching them and letting them struggle a bit? And, and I think the one thing that I was coached on as a leader from my staff, they said, Tim, you know, when you do delegate, can you just do us one favor? You know, would you just ask us what we got on our plate, you know, and just like check in, like, do you have the time to take this on <laughs> yeah. rather than just thinking we do? Yeah. And, and that was good advice for me, you know? So now I'm like, Hey, do you have the time to take this on? You know, because that's showing respect to them and, and yeah. they may, or they may <clears throat> not, or I might have to help them reprioritize, but not assume that their plate is endless. Yeah. That's not fair to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love those. Every single one of those. Um, I'm taking frantic notes here, um, especially the decision-making framework, you know, kind of high level. What I appreciate most about this is, is it, it's, it's oh, the way of actualizing again, like you said, all of these strategies, but for us in our framework, it's the way that you start to cultivate because when you know something is so important to our soil section in our in our framework is accountability and 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 seeing people deeply seeing very can be kind of abstract things to consider but how do you actualize it these are some great strategy you know ways approaches as you said of of actualizing them and I, so i i really appreciate it it's so so simple and 
what I really like about this decision-making framework, again, is that it, <laughs> I love those. I'm going to, I'm going to steal these, Tim. <laughs> they're yours. <laughs> I'm going to steal these. They're, they're yours to share. Uh, yeah, I'm going to share these for sure. Uh, but yeah, what I love about them, so, so simple. Um, and I had a question, a follow-up question to this, this one specifically, decision-making. Um, I've often found uh, just in seeing organizations and teams struggle a bit, including myself or, or my own, is because there becomes confusion around decision-making versus problem-solving. And sometimes I think the opposite happens. People are trying to problem-solve when actually what needs to happen is a decision or vice versa. People are trying to make a decision when it's actually a problem that needs to be solved. And I think there's two different approaches there. So I wanted to to, to pick your brain on that for a second. On it, do you see the difference between the two? And if so, what is the difference for you? And how important is it to know that there's a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. And and so I, let me see where I go with that. Okay. So problem solving key is is the most important thing in anything you do. You know, whether it's crafting strategy of where we're going next, it's well, what's the problem here to solve? You need to define the problem or the yes. opportunity to be achieved. And and I think that's key. That's strategic. That's where you're understanding a lot of the root causes. You're understanding um, what the what the real issue is or opportunity is. And it's more of a um, sometimes it's a short term fix, but sometimes problem solving is creating a long term impact because you're truly understanding what is going on in our community. What's the social priority? Why do these things keep repeating themselves? Yeah. Um, and I think that's more where you're sitting down and you're looking at, you know, all the variables, all the spurious factors and so on around an issue or an opportunity uh, to help create strategy, to help create great results. Now, decision making a lot of time is what holds up organizations from being successful, hmm. that we know what to do. We know the decisions. Most of the time when I'm working in, I, I, I'll give you an example. When I was back in uh, um, Asheville with the turnaround, I asked everybody when I got there, I said, tell me, everyone send me a list by email. Tell me the five to 10 things that you know, if we did right now, we would not be in this situation. But somebody told you not to do it or nobody made a decision on it. Mm. And when I looked at all of that, I just packaged it into a strategy and said, here's what we're doing. Yeah. And that was it. And they just went and did what they already knew what to do. Yeah. So that's decision making. Now- Part of those decisions came from problems that were defined. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And then, so now we have clarity on what to do. We know the strategy of what to take. Mm -hmm. And then we come to the decision point. And I think decision point and problem solving are two totally separate things. Yeah. The decision point is the final direction mm -hmm. or, you know, or directive in order to make movement, to make progress. Mm -hmm. Whereas problem solving is understanding what is the decision we actually have to make. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if that helps, but no, absolutely. You know, I think it's decision making. There's options laid out, and right. and it's what is the best problem solving. Oftentimes, perhaps there isn't. There's right. no, there's not. We don't have all the options in front of us. Right. And that example you shared, what I really like about that, and I, this one of my mantras is the solution is down the hall or across the table. That's right. <laughs> and what I loved about what you did there was they had their own answers. I mean, they had their own answers. It was just getting it again, the conditions for them to share it and then packaging it in, in a way to, to solve it. But I, I, I'm a full believer in that, that every organization typically has the, their, the answers to their biggest problems. 
Um, they just got to be willing to walk down the hall <laughs> to yeah. go find them or to, you know, to ask the person in front of them. Uh, so I love that. And the keep, stop, start <clears throat> really reveals that, mm. that you have the answers. All the answers in that major agency, the staff had it. I just packaged it for them yeah. and I created an environment to where they could speak freely, you know, and, and not be held accountable for whatever they said. And in doing that, it showed us exactly what we needed to do because the same issues repeated across the entire agency in different departments of people who never even spoke to each other. Yeah. And so there is a, there is an organizational um, kind of mentality, you know, that in, in organizations, there's sometimes this kind of same thing that keeps repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And the fundamentals of success are the same. You know, they're, they're, I love Jim Collins, Good to Great. He yeah. talks about the five key things of why organizations went from good to great. And when you look at that, those five key areas, those same areas are good 100 years ago and will be good 100 yeah, years timeless. from now. We complicate success. Mm -hmm. We complicate success. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, uh, uh, you know, we've been doing some research with some organizations here in our, in our community. And I just can't, I can't say enough the importance of leaders creating the proper environment. You know, it, it's such a simple concept, but I, I would ask any leader right now where they feel if they're facing some headwinds or a storm or, or a challenge, if I would ask them to, to really check themselves, is the, have you created the proper conditions right now? Because oftentimes, and, and, this is just what we're seeing as observers in this research is that that's the root of the problem is the environment is not conducive for success to happen. And because uh, the solutions are really simple, but why aren't they working? You know, a great idea. Here it is. This is what others have done. Why isn't it working for us? I think it comes down to the environment and the, the, the conditions that we have created or have not created. Um, so that's just as one of the questions that I would want to ask leaders right now is, is, uh, or anybody for that matter, how are your conditions? How is the environment? Uh, and we got just a few minutes left, but these other three points, so great. Own it early. Um, I'm a hu huge believer in, in, in we got to stop the blame and the shame. I think organizations lose a lot of time, money, and resources by the blaming and shaming cycle. Um, we actually have this filter in our framework. We call it the change filter, but the opposite of it, we call it the blame filter <laughs> or the blame cycle. And it works like this. It's how can others change? That's the first question we usually ask ourselves. How do other people need to change? That's how blame starts as we start to think how other people need to change. And then the second question is, how can they, how can they be intentional about it? What should they actually do? And then the third is, how, who's going to hold them accountable or how are they going to be accountable to it? And those feel like harmless questions, but they create a blame and shame cycle. When the change filter that, that we have is the opposite, it's how can I be the first to change? How can I be intentional? And how can I be accountable? And we call it the change filter because we feel like that's what starts to create change when people start asking those questions. So I love that. I really resonate with that. Own it early. And I think that for us, the change filter, we help that helps us own it early um, as leaders. And then this productive feedback loops, so, so important. I think, again, just observing organizations, those are often missing. And we, you know, some, I want to go back just for a second about change because you're spot on. A good friend of mine, Mark, and I always talk about, um, and it's not our quote, well, I forget where we got it from it. And they said that change is inevitable. Progress is optional. And think about that. Change is going to happen whether you like uh, it or not. Yeah. 
We're born to die. Yeah. Change is inevitable. Progress is optional. So the question is, if change is going to come, you know, why are we not, why is progress optional? It should not be optional. Mm -hmm. And the reason it becomes optional is exactly what you just said. Is the environment there to learn and grow? Is the environment there where we drop our ego and it's about the greater good, not about my career, but about all of us progressing together to reach a common goal of what success looks like based on our mission? You know, yeah. and, and so, you know, really understanding why some organization progress or why some problems kind keep repeating themselves and there's no progress on mm -hmm. some of the social priorities in many of our communities that it just gets worse and worse or it never really pushes back. Yeah. And so we have to understand then, then what's not happening, you know, mm -hmm. that, that isn't allowing progress to move. And, and I think in the end, I think it's, it's the environment to learn and grow. I think mm -hmm. the greatest thing you can teach uh, anyone, and in Boys and Girls Club, we talked about this all the time, was to teach a child how to learn how to learn. Mm. Greater than any degree you can get or whatever. You can teach someone how to learn how to learn. They will be successful yeah. no matter what. Guaranteed. Yeah, I agree 100%. Love that. Uh and then, you know, I'm just highlighting again, productive feedback, such an important element, the strength, capacity, and delegation as well. Just so tangible, again, as you call them approaches, but but things that a leader can start to to do immediately. And and that starts to cultivate the soil, that starts to create the conditions and the environment for change. Um, to close, uh, you know, I was reminded of a, something I heard once, I'm looking it up on my phone that I want to end with, and I would love for you to share your thoughts on this. Okay, so this was a question that I heard once, more more of a, just, he threw it out there, I can't remember who it was, but heard somebody speak once, really impressed upon me, but he said, he said, what if we've normalized mediocrity and renamed it success so that we can be okay with the way things are? Mm, powerful. <laughs> yeah, what if we've normalized mediocrity <laughs> and renamed it success so we can be okay with the way things are? Um, I think that's really powerful. I think that it, it causes us to stop and think. I think I've been guilty of that many times in my life. Um, but I would love your thoughts on that. You know, we've talked about going into the storm. We've talked about the moments that we want to give up and maybe the times that we have. I love that you shared the moment where your team actually gave up what you've learned from it, what you, how you quit, how you, how you kept going and all the lessons that came from that. I love how we've tied it to organizational development. These, these, eight, these eight elements that you've shared with strategy and approach, the four under strategy, four under approach, also helpful. There's so much to take away in this episode. So I encourage any listener to hope you took notes, re-listen to this episode. But I would love your thoughts on that. You know, what if we've just renamed medi mediocrity as success so that we can be okay with the way things are? Um, what's your response to that? And what would be your, your, you know, your, final, your final words for, for any listeners today? You know, I would... I would agree with that statement after 32 years that we need to reframe expectations on what success looks like. A lot of times when I come into an organization turnaround and we're, you know, the first year we're getting these great results, everybody's like, oh my gosh, Tim, you're the greatest leader in the world, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, this is baseline. Mm -hmm. Like we're not even, we haven't even started the engines roaring yeah. yet. Wait till we get focused. Wait till we get all the right people on the list. Wait till we get more time to spend with you so you can be your best. Wait till we create the environment where everybody's moving in the same direction and we're helping you be your very best. 
then you'll see what success looks like right now. We're just digging out of the hole, yeah. you know, and, and, and reframing expectations. And you, 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 you don't, it's like when I come on to an organization that in a doom loop, the first thing they want to do is vision the future. And I'm like, you don't create vision of a future while you're deep in a hole. Yeah. Let's dig ourselves out. Let's get to a baseline so we can see further than where we stand. And now let's see what, yeah. you know, it looks like, cause in a hole success looks like crawling out of it. Yeah. Success but, looks like the, the, the hole at the top of yeah. that you want to get out of it. And, and then you get out of there and you're like, yeah, this is great. But really that's, that's baseline at best. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to really reframe expectations from where we are. We need to understand what success looks like at each stage of it, but you never really get there. It's, it's a, it's a path. Success mm-hmm. is a path of continuous improvement of learnings, of benchmarks and things that are achieved that, you know, for me, help the greater good mm-hmm. from the nonprofit world. But I do agree that a lot of times I hear so many people celebrating and I'm like, we have so much more potential yeah. than what you think. Okay, let's celebrate. Let's not yeah. steal the joy, but we, we can do a lot better and there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. I love that. Our, uh, you know, our, our vision at Groundwork is to be a catalyst for transformational change. and the way we define transformational transformation is very much in line with what you said. It's, it's improvement for, towards potential, you know, um, and transformation. Anytime there's a transformation, whether it's personal, organizational, et cetera, it's when an organization or an individual makes a change that is putting them in the direction of their fullest potential. And, and it should be, it is to be celebrated for that small change, but it's, it's never satisfied because there's always a higher potential to be achieved. Exactly. Um, and to me, that's that's a transform- transformative process. It's knowing that that there's 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 more, right, and that we can continue to improve. Um, so I love loved this conversation. This was really fun. Uh, we we talked. We we addressed so many really great insights. I hope that again. I hope that our listeners um, took some notes. Uh, please re-listen to the episode. I know I'll come back to this episode a few times. I'm going to steal some of this stuff, Tim. You got it. It's <laughs> I'm yours. Going to steal some of this stuff. This is great. Uh, but I sure appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, I wish we, uh, I hope that we can find more times to, more moments to interact in our community. Would love to get you involved in, in groundwork uh, somehow because I think you can really contribute uh, to our institute. You certainly are contributing to this podcast and, and, and the knowledge that we've been learning from so many different leaders. I love your humility. I love your your experience that you bring to the table. So I just want to say thank you. And thank you. Thanks for all that you're doing for our community. It's it's a beautiful community. And I think watching the growth in our community of what we're, we're doing, you know, and all of us coming together to achieve some amazing outcomes has a lot to do with the rooted leadership and everything you're leading and your team's leading. So I'm happy to be a part of it. And thanks to all the listeners. Um, it's a beautiful day. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, some fun, great things happening in Salem, Oregon. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Any returning listeners, we love your, you know, your, you, you coming back. And any new listeners, hope you listen, keep listening to our, to our show. And, and until then, be safe, and we'll talk to you next time. 